Pod save the Queen! So, hello and welcome back to Pod Save the Queen. I'm your host, Anne Gripper, and I am on location today with my friend Zoe Forsey, Features Editor at The Mirror, and we are in Westminster Abbey in the company of the Head of Communications, Duncan Jeffrey, who is kindly giving us a bit of a tour, talking about the Abbey's royal connections. I mean, it's, it was the place where the Queen was crowned Queen on her coronation day, where Princess Diana's funeral was held, where William and Kate got married, where Harry and Meghan said their farewells to life as working royals, where there's the Tomb of the Unknown Warrior, which has had long connections with royal weddings and holds a special place in the country and history and, and the royal family and people's hearts. And it's so much more history besides. So, Duncan, thank you so much for showing us around today. It's my, my pleasure. Good afternoon and welcome to the Abbey. Thank you very much. And one of the reasons we've come this this year is because you're, you've got a special tour that's running over the summer to celebrate essentially 10 years of William Kate's wedding. That's right. And you were here when they got married. Yes, I was. It's uh, 10 years ago and uh, it doesn't seem like 10 years ago because it was such a busy time and there was so much going on. In fact, there was so much interesting things to do that it just seems like yesterday. But yes, it was 10 years ago and it all started with a phone call from uh, Clarence Harris to say that... Uh, William and Kate would like to come for a visit to the Abbey to see um, if uh, they would like, like to get married here. That was in the uh, in the November of 2010. That was where it all started. That's quite a normal thing to do for a bride and groom looking yeah. to get married, to go check out different places and, and where guess, you might fancy. Yeah. No pressure on the person who was doing that tour that day. <laughs> no, no, because quite clearly there were a number of places that the, the wedding could have been taking place. I mean, there was obviously St Paul's, St George's, Windsor, the Guards Chapel, the Queen's Chapel, the Chapel Royal, any number of places that uh, we were delighted when they had the tour. And then uh, a few weeks later, they said, yes, we'd like to get married in the Abbey. What we tried to do was emphasise that because the Abbey is split into two by the organ loft, the area which you're married is, in fact, the East End is much more enclosed, so it's much more like a parish church, so it's much more of an intimate affair. And it, it was <coughs> a very special day. And where were you watching it from? I was. It was extraordinary. We are now standing outside the west wall of the Abbey. And because we had to put so many cameras, the BBC decided to build a fake west wall behind which all the cameras and the stills photographers were positioned so that they couldn't actually see them, so they couldn't be obtrusive. So I was high up the west wall, about 70 feet up. And I couldn't get out because the, the, uh, the, the comptroller of the household was standing with his back to the door, so I couldn't go down the ladders and get out to see my colleagues who were in the South Transit looking after the media. So I watched the whole thing from 70 feet up at the west end of the church. Wow, what a view. <laughs> it was indeed, especially seeing Kate arrive and then also seeing her come back as a, as a married woman and seeing both of them come back as uh, by then they were Duke and Duchess of Cambridge. Special, special day. And it it, the particular bits of the service that stood well, out for you? I, I, I always remember Kate's arrival because everyone was anxious, A, to see, the, a, to see her and her father, but also to see the dress, which was a Sarah Burton dress, but also just that... that, that pivotal moment at the start of it. And I can remember my dean later said to me that he was, as he welcomed uh, Kate and her father, Michael, at that point, the Abbey Choir strikes up, I was glad, which is the famous Hubert Parry anthem. And for a moment, he was just so lost in the wonder of the singing of the choir, he quite forgot he was meant to, he was there to be taking Kate and Michael <laughs> up the aisle. <laughs> but he pulled himself together and that's where it all started. It was a wonderful service. Oh, what a special, special moment. <coughs> so... 
the first. Well, tell us, tell us we where are, we are. We are standing in St George's Chapel, which is at the by the Great West Door, and it contains the coronation chair. So this is the chair that was uh, brought to the Abbey in the uh, 14th century by Edward I, who was the son of Henry III, who built this church because Henry III demolished an earlier church by Edward the Confessor. So this coronation chair uh, symbolised the monarchy, and in this chair, every monarch but two have been crowned. And the two that have not been crowned are Edward V, who was the young prince who was murdered in the tower, some say by Richard III, debatable point, and the other one was Edward VIII, of course, abdicated before he could be crowned. Other than that, every monarch, including William and Mary, when they had to have another crown as well, have been crowned in this abbey. We've just got the tones of the organ striking I up a little bit as well. I think it's James who's doing the organ. Do you want me to stop him or something? Um, I don't think he's going to be that long. Just having a little tinkle. Yeah. <laughs> just checking it still works. It's fine. Um, can I just say, the coronation chair doesn't look very comfortable. It's quite broad. No. It would suit somebody with a rather larger and, and behind. And but... if you look, you'll see that it's in fact covered in graffiti. Yeah, so, that's not something I expected to see. No, <laughs> the graffiti was carried out by in the 18th and 19th century by boys from Westminster School. Naughty boys. <laughs> And in fact, um, and there was nothing you could do about it because the, the coronation chair was in the abbey itself. And if you look very carefully, you'll see one is uh, Nathaniel Curzon, who was in fact Lord Curzon, who later became Foreign Secretary as well. So it's some fairly distinguished names there, but oh. it's not as perfect as you think. Yeah, I think we're, gonna, <laughs> we're not going to be able to compete, I don't think, okay. with the organ. If that's okay, yeah. sorry. So the, the chair itself, so it's, yes. it's made of... Wood, with sort of, yes, it's made of oak. With um, sort of gold finish on full proud-looking lions holding it up at the bottom, and it's on a on a plinth of sort of three steps up to it. When so when it gets moved for the coronation, yes. does it get moved wholesale, complete with canopy and sort of full, no, no, full the poster around it? The canopy is there it. for presentation purposes. The chair itself gets moved to the high altar on the Cosmati pavement, which then becomes the coronation theatre. So it's moved lock, stock, and barrel, and it faces the altar because coronation is not just being crowned a king, it's a relational queen, it's a relationship between the monarch and God. And I would say that I'm guessing that it gets sort of trapped up with some nice materials and very, very a comfy carefully. Seat. We have, we have move, removal people who are very, very expert at that. But of course, when it comes to a coronation, it then will be accompanied by the Stone of Schoon, which was why Edward, Edward I brought it down here, because he wanted it to be associated with the Stone of Schoon, which is an essential part of the ceremony because it signifies that uh, he's also a monarch of Scotland. Well, during Scottish devolution negotiations some years ago, the Stone of Schoon was removed back to Schoon Palace. But it will come, when we next have a coronation, which hopefully will not be for many years yet, the Stone of Schoon will come back down to accompany the chair. Borrow it back again. For yes, a, then they can have it For back. a special day. <laughs> so was the, was the Abbey built specifically to be... No. A coronation abbey. No, no. The abbey was, was built because there was a Benedictine monastery here in 960 AD. And about uh, that time, Edward the Confessor moved his palace to the Palace of Westminster, which is obviously much older than the one that's there now. But then because English was a fairly fractious time, um, he was absolved by the Pope from having to make the ritual um, visit to Rome to pay homage. But the Pope said, no, you can spare that because I recognise you've got to manage your country. Instead, could you build me a church? 
So he approached the Benedictine monks of uh, Thorny Island, which is what we're standing on, and he said, I'm going to build you an abbey. And so he built an abbey, which was dedicated on 1060 in 1065. Unfortunately, Edward the Confessor died the day before. However, there are remnants of Edward the Confessor's abbey here, uh, presently in the cloisters, but the church that we're in now belongs to Henry III, and was built in the 13th century. Henry III was a great admirer of Edward the Confessor, so there is his shrine here, which perhaps we can see a bit later. But that started the relationship between the monarchy and Westminster Abbey. And aside, I mean, obviously you would expect some wear and tear on a mm. chair that has been used, albeit very occasionally, yes. but for a very long time. Yes. And aside from the graffiti, so one of the, I don't know what you'd call them, the little the deco decorations yeah. on the corners, one of them looks in, I'm assuming that's damage rather yeah. than design to it, the no, one on the left? No, it's damage over the years um, because the chair has been moved around the Abbey and then when Cromwell uh, assumed power, uh, after the English Civil War, he moved it into a storeroom in uh, Westminster School because it symbolised the monarchy. So it was knocked about a bit there. So it's been knocked about a bit over the years. And what you see is a result of um, 700 years of um, being a coronation chair. And have you spotted any particular graffiti on the uh, chair? Is it just initials and, and names? Or has anybody left a, a no, any there's, messages? There's, there's Nathaniel Curzon there. There's also another one, which is... Um, it's P, as a notorious P. Abbott, who slept in this chair, and this is what it says, P. Abbott slept in this chair 5, 6 July, 1800. Well, he's got no link to Westminster School, so we don't know who on earth P. Abbott is. <laughs> wow, resourceful. And so on Coronation Day, mm. it would be, de be decorated no, or it's plain? exactly as it is. Nothing, nothing happens to it at all. It is the Coronation Chair as it is. So just plain, plain wooden bench? Plain wooden chair. It symbolises the monarchy. Wow, and what a piece of history. And it is. It's one of the, if not the oldest, or it's the, the piece of furniture that has been longest used for the same Yes, it's, it, is our, it is our most precious artefact. We're oh. intensely proud of it, and of course, we take great care of it. Well, thank you very much for, for sharing it to us. And I think um, you've probably answered Amy Arena's question, and... Um, and Benji Pear as well, interested to know about when the last coronation was not at the Abbey, but given that there's hardly been any of them. Well, then they've, all, they've all been here, apart from those two Edwards who weren't crowned here for very good reasons. And it was the last used in 1953 when Her Majesty the Queen was crowned here. And I know it's obviously a, a delicate question, and we obviously hope that it won't be for many years, mm. but it is known that as and when the next coronation mm -hmm. happens, it will, it be, will here. be here. Yep. So is there a, uh, I don't know... Is there a standard yes. protocol that just comes out again, or will yeah. it need no, a no, lot of updating? No, no, no. There's, from... a, there's, a very for, there's a very formal way of doing these things. You don't just make it up as you go along, or you don't adapt it for the 21st century. Um, there is a way of doing things. It's set out in very old historic abbey documents, and it follows those documents to the letter. Though there was a big change for the Queen's coronation at, the prin at Prince Philip's suggestion, you know, let the cameras in. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think there's, a, there's a, still a picture of Richard Dimbleby lying prostrate above the lantern on a, on, a, on a trolley that moves out and moves back in again. So yes, that, as you're quite right, it was the Duke of Edinburgh's suggestion that it should be televised, much to the uh, chagrin of some courtiers who thought it was intruding into a very old ceremony. But I think we now know that television is part of everything. Television is part of very big services here. We have a very good relationship with our friends at the BBC, special events team, and um, long may it rain. So that, that what happens at the Abbey 
can be um, loved and appreciated by so many more people than the 2,200 that the Abbey owns, uh, holds. And now you know to build a, a little fake wall at the back to hide all of those yes, cameras. Yes, absolutely. And is this, this area, is this open to this visitors in, when this, they come? This or is St. It? George's Chapel. This is not open to visitors because it does contain the coronation chair and we are determined to keep it. But it's very, you can see it very clearly through the sort of but we glass. But we do hold Holy Communion here on Fridays for the public. And so there's a Holy Communion on Fridays. It's always held in St. George's Chapel. Okay, very special. Mm. Okay, thank okay. you very much for showing us that. So I guess this is the view that Kate would have had when yes, she walked exactly. through these exactly. grand doors. And wow. <laughs> so she arrived through the Great West Door here. And there was a red carpet that ran all the way through. It had to divert the uh, the unknown warrior because there, in the abbey, there are three thousand three hundred memorials or gravestones. It is impossible not to walk over them. But the only one we never walk over is the grave of the unknown warrior, which is before us now. So the red carpet for the Kate had to walk with her father and my dean, skirted it and went up through to the middle to the high altar. And so what we can see here, so there's beautiful, I mean, it's a, a huge vaulted ceiling yeah. going up to the rafters. It's probably massive echo on the podcast today when you're listening to us, but I hope you appreciate why Yes, we're, why a, gothic, that we're is. a gothic arch, which is uh, about 90 feet high, and it's modelled on some of the great French cathedrals that Henry III knew when he, when he commissioned the builders. And the, the chandeliers are stunning. They look quite um, mod, almost art deco in some yeah. ways. The chandeliers were, in fact, donated by the Guinness family. Um, um, but when they were being fabricated, it was the time of the troubles. And I think it was felt that um, for the Guinness family to be seen to be fabricating um, something for the British establishment might cause some problems. So it was said they were being made for a big Belfast hotel. But they're the chandeliers that we switch on. And they've just been replaced with, uh, with new bulbs as well. And um, for everybody, everybody who asked, when we clean them, Everybody wants to know about that fools and horses moment. Yeah. <laughs> and no, so no, we've never had one crash to the ground as, uh, as poor granddad did in fools and horses. It would make quite a racket. It certainly mean, would. The light shining off them now, even without the yeah. lights on, I mean, they look like diamonds they, hanging there, don't they? They do. They Absolutely do. stunning. And the standing here, I mean, you can see the, the tomb of the unknown warrior with the poppies all around it yes. is such a, the, the colour. Mm in the rest of the abbey is such a sort of a standout. It draws the attention yep. immediately. And this is only half, essentially half the half, abbey, half of the abbey yes. in the way that you were talking about, yep. that you've got the sort yep. of the parish yes. church feel the other side. Yes, I think so. You'll see as we wander through that it does feel much more intimate. The Unknown Warrior was, of course, 100 years old in, uh, in 2020. It was, um, it was the idea of a padre called David Railton, who was a padre on the Western Front, and given all that he saw, the suffering that he saw, the death that he saw, he felt that the contribution of the soldiers and sailors and the airmen should be recognised. So he lobbied the Dean of Westminster, who lobbied the government, and finally King George V agreed uh, with alacrity that there should be a permanent memorial to those who died in World War I. So that was it. It was unveiled on November the 11th, 1920. These days it also symbolises a commitment to world peace. So whenever you get example, a world leader, such as the President of America or the President of France, they very often, as part of a state visit to this country, they very often call in here and lay a wreath at the grave of the unknown warrior and say a prayer for a moment to demonstrate their commitment to peace. The last one we had was President Trump. And that was um, 
a marvellous occasion because it was just the security was just extraordinary. But we managed to <laughs> we managed to give him a good tour as well. And of course, there's the lovely royal tradition as well, isn't there, where brides send their bouquets That's back? That's absolutely true. That. Started by uh, Queen Elizabeth, the Queen Mother, who wanted to remember her brother Fergus, who died in the Battle of Luce in the First World War. So she laid her, her bridal bouquet here. So now all brides, uh, all royal brides, will not immediately after the service, but at some point, send their bouquet back here. It lays on the warrior until it uh, it fades. And do you get other people who want to? make similar gestures, are they allowed to, or how does... It... Well, we, we, we try to dissuade it, not not because we're being churlish, but because there are so many that we couldn't possibly accommodate everybody. So we just hope that people, if they want to pay their respects, would pause for a moment and pray, but if they're not religious, just think about the contribution that people have made to peace. And you mentioned that the, the carpet that Kate had had mm. to divert around mm. the, um, the tomb. Lots of Tots wants to know all about the carpets for the royal weddings. They must be vast and a, a right procedure to lay down. We've, we've only ever had one royal carpet that I've been involved with, which was for the wedding of Kate and William. Uh, it was ordered specially for that. I believe that it is now in storage in RAF hangar somewhere. <laughs> so, but whether it will be wheeled out again, I don't know. But it was, a, it was a rich red carpet. It wasn't, in fact, ordered until a couple of weeks before the wedding. Um, but it did, because it had to run through the uh, the floral decorations, which was another wonderful moment when the uh, floral decorations arrived. Because we'd been told, don't try to keep uh, the floral decorations under wraps. So we did our best. But then we heard that the uh, the, flor the, the florist of the day, Shane Connolly, was going to send them in a lorry. So the lorry arrived. <laughs> And by that time, there was a huge media centre over the road at the QE2 centre, so that was filled with cameras and everything. And this lorry, not only was it a lorry, but it had a side canvas partition that just ripped along the side. And as they ripped along the side and exposed the contents, there was absolute silence. And then somebody just said, oh, it's trees. <laughs> <laughs> and there were trees. There were six 20-foot maples and two hornbeams. And the, the, the trees went down the Lily Ivan, the carpet in between. And there's obviously vast pillars here now, mm. almost like stone trees. I mean, how did, as someone who spent you know, 15, mm. now 15 years working mm. at the Abbey, how did having real life trees inside, how did it change the feeling of the building? It, it, it somehow, I know this sounds bizarre, but it somehow, it made it feel more intimate. It made it feel more homely and it made you aware that in fact what we were doing was not a huge media event, it wasn't a big royal ceremony, although it was both of those things. It was about uh, a wedding of two people who loved each other. And I thought that the trees complemented that feeling. And I think it's interesting as well, even how we've seen William and Kate go on into their future mm. lives. You know, William doing so mm. much with Earthshot and the environment, and mm. Kate's sort of, you know, forest school type mm. thing, and Scouts, mm. and it all... There's we probably didn't realise at the time, but actually those trees said a lot about their future work. I think it does. I think it does. And I think the trees ended up at Highgrove, which, of course, is the Prince of Wales' estate as well. So there's a natural circle to be accomplished there. Oh, that's really lovely. I didn't know that. Yes. So that must be really nice. So I guess they can take the kids there and, yes. you know, yes. play hide and seek. Around. <laughs> yeah. see, see these trees we once walked in the middle of. Them. Yeah. Oh, that's so lovely. I'll see them go. Um, so Janie Seashort, one of our listeners, says... Yeah. Is anyone going to be married there soon, or do we have to wait for the great-grandkids now? And in terms of royal royal weddings, it probably will be a while, I'm it, guessing. It will be a while, because we have, we hold, in fact, we hold very few weddings at the Abbey. We only marry, um, we only, the only marriages here are for members of the royal family, 
or for members of families of the Honourable Order of the Bath, which is a chivalrous order, uh, with its own chapel at the far end of the Abbey, or for members of the Abbey staff and clergy. But it's the royal weddings that everybody remembers. So we have had uh, we had the Queen herself was married here. Obviously, uh, Kate and William were married here. The Duke of York was married here. Princess Anne was married here. But I think we've got a few years to wait before the next generation comes along. We're ready for another wedding. Do many staff and clergy choose to get married? Here? I mean, it's a grand setting. You, you, could, it, you could invite a lot of friends. <laughs> you, you could indeed. You could indeed. Well, before COVID, but you could indeed. But in fact, it, it isn't that many because people choose to be married close to home or their own parish church. Mm. So it isn't an option that many people take up. Yeah, for the, those royal wedding, royal wedding days, very, mm. very special, and they have all of the royal weddings that we've seen. I mean, there's been an absolute glut of them recently. But yes. they've, they've all done their days differently, and that they have, they have, and and some of them in very, very different weddings. Because St George's Windsor is a much smaller church, but of course, it, it does have that essential royal connection. It is part of Windsor Castle. So they're all very different in their own special way. And I think they're all different weddings in a special way. I'm sure the Queen's wedding year was quite different from William and Kate's. But um, essentially, it is about two people getting married. Always. Oh, making me think, think happy thoughts. It's the thing. And don't, do you ever watch Don't Tell the Bride? Yes, the, yes. Oh, yes. None, <laughs> none of it matters. All of the crazy ideas they have. So long as it's the day they both turn up and get married, it's all fine. That's um, what it's all about. So let's, um, let's sure, follow sure. a little bit in the footsteps sure. of Kate. It took Kate three and a half minutes to walk from where we are at the Great West Door to the high altar. It was a fairly stately procession. All the while, the Abbey Choir was singing, I was glad, because we had the Abbey Choir in the choir stalls. And we had uh, the Chapel Royal Singers as well. And the London Chamber Orchestra was in the organ loft, which is ahead of us as well. And that sound was just filled Fill, this filled place. Filled the air. And it was absolutely magical. As you walk uh, through the Abbey, you'll see some of these um, 3,300 memorials and graves that I mentioned. Uh, we're coming up to David Livingston, the explorer. Oh, Livingston, I presume. Livingston is there. And uh, who decides? This is a question from one of our listeners as well. Who, who decides? Who, who's memorialised? Yes, who, who get, has the honour of being buried it's, in the Abbey? It's, well, being buried in the Abbey, we haven't buried many people. We, the, last, the last burial we had was Stephen Hawking, who was over there. His ashes are buried. Before that, it was uh, Lord Olivier in, in Poets' Corner in the South Transept. The only other burials we've had are the, dean, the deans of Westminster can be buried here. So when Wesley Carr, who was the dean when I first arrived here, died, he's buried here just before the altar in the nave. But we don't hold very many burials here today. The, the, what we do do is we dedicate memorials. So a place to remember. Yes, people yes. Of, to the great of and notes. the good. The people who we feel have, have made a difference. And that's entirely the decision of the Dean of Westminster. Okay, interesting. And are there any members of the royal family from long ago where this was their last resting place? Or has it never been? We have uh, the royal tombs in the around the shrine of King Edward the Confessor, which we'll be seeing in a moment. Ooh. So you're just passing through uh, Thomas Cochrane, and these, who was a great uh, Peninsula War Admiral. And these decorative um, plates, are these memorials as well? Yeah, these, are are, these are memorials often to Victorian or Edwardian dignitaries. The most, uh, the most recent one, as I mentioned here, is Stephen Hawking, who's over here. This is called Scientist's Corner because we had Poet's Corner, but there's also Scientist's Corner, which probably not only people are aware of because people are buried here. It started with Darwin, who's buried here. And then we have Herschel, the great physicist. Um, but here we have Stephen Hawking. That was um, an extraordinary uh, occasion. 
um, the first burial that we've had for a long while. Um, his family were here, and um, the the gravestone, the, the the dedication stone, was carved especially for it. It was a it was a very magical day. And the the inscription is "Here lies what was mortal of Stephen Hawking, 1942 to 2018." And there's a, a sense of the universe in the um, in the kind of the decoration of it and a, and a formula which I'm not even going to try to read. Yes, yes. <laughs> no, that will take us the rest of the broadcast or even to, to decipher. <laughs> Probably better so, chance of reading it than explaining yeah. it. But he was so, so as, as I say, many of these are just memorials to people, but this one is actually Stephen Hawking. Is the, his ashes are there? Great, great man. Can I ask when you're going out to, to um, publish? First week, first week of August. Okay, because um, there will be another dedication of a memorial here because uh, we announced on the just before the Olympic opening games that, in fact, we are also going to dedicate a memorial to Roger Bannister, who broke a four-minute mile. So that will be dedicated mm -hmm. on September the 28th and his family. But it will be dedicated here in Science Scientist Corner because he's being, memoried, he's being remembered, not just because... He broke the four-minute mile and was a great runner, but also he's a very distinguished neurosurgeon. Oh, really? I did not know that. Neither did I. Breaking news. Ah. <laughs> well, no, I did not know he was a neurosurgeon. Either, yes, he was. That's, great. Why, that's why he's being remembered. He's a very distinguished neurosurgeon, of course, and that's why I announced it. Uh, I'm announcing it tomorrow. He, uh, he's known as a runner. Lovely. Oh, well, that'll be a very special day as mm. well. Special, special way and a special place there we to have remember Isaac people. Newton. And in fact, you have a wonderful um, statue of Isaac Newton up there as well. I say that's beautiful. So we're just about to go under the organ loft, which contains the organ console. The organ here was um, was built for the uh, the coronation of uh, King George VI, and now we're entering into the choir. But this is the point I made that we're in an abbey of two halves, so we're now entering the eastern half of the abbey. It's interesting that I. One of the things I remember very clearly from Harry and Meghan's wedding day is that transition, mm. partly because Meghan had walked in on her own and then mm -hmm. transferred mm -hmm. to sort of being accompanied by Prince Charles. And there were some beautiful pictures mm. from within this sort of quite this sort of very private, small area, mm. it's sort of a, a moment of peace almost in between yes. the two places. Because that was but, St George's Windsor and that was the nave of St George's yeah. going into the choir, which we're about to go into the choir of Westminster Abbey. But I've got no recollection of the sort of even having to walk having to walk a wonky route around the, mm. the tomb of the unknown warrior mm. and around the altar. And I wonder whether there was, you know, cut to the choir singing and the orchestra yes. playing as, yes. or William's face looking nervous as uh, he waits for yes. his bride to arrive. Because, you know, the temptation for any groom well, is always going to be to try to get a look and you're going William, to struggle. William, William and Harry there. were in fact tucked away in the, in the chapel of St Edmund, which is around the corner there. But as, um, as, she, as Kate arrived at the Great West Door, one of our virgins went to collect them from St. Edmund's Chapel, so they were then there right in the middle, and we could see them looking around. But they really wouldn't have got a look at her in, in you know, been able to see her properly until she got to this point. Even longer to wait as the music is playing. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> at least you know she's arrived, though, when the music starts yes. playing. As soon as they played, I was glad, you know. The yeah. <laughs> Phew, Kate's, Kate's arrived. Yeah. And there was the lovely quote, wasn't there, that you could, um, Harry told William, he kind of said, oh, she's here. You know, yeah, it's all fine. <laughs> yeah, big moment. This is we're walking through the choir, which is, uh, uh, of course, there are members of the congregation here, but it holds our choir. Um, the Abbey Choir numbers are 24, which is uh, 
12 lay vicars who are men singers. They're professional singers. Um, they, are, they are often other singers in opera or for chamber music. And then boys, we have, uh, we have 25 boys who all are educated at our own choir school, so the residential choir school here. And um, they often go off on uh, scholarships to the best schools. So the choir is, is our resident choir, it's world famous. It's a this sort of enclosed area with the dark wood yes. pews. I mean, it's quite reminiscent, again, thinking back to St George's Chapel of where the, the royal family that yes. were able to attend the Duke of Edinburgh's funeral, That's right. it's that equivalent area. Yes, we're, we're approaching the high altar. And this is known as the crossing because it's the crossing between the two transepts, which we're just approaching the north transept on our left and the south transept there, which contains Poets' Corner. So you go, you go from a very small, narrow place again yes. to a feeling of, of space and actually being, you're watched from all sides. You've yes. got people on the right, people on yes. the left, people behind you. So if you imagine that, that this, is, this is the setting of the wedding, I know there's the nave all the way down there with all the other guests and everything, but as far as the couple are concerned, this is where they're getting married, and this is, in fact, no bigger than many other parish churches. So, um, William and, and Kate would have stood at the middle, uh, at the foot of the steps, and um, the dean would have then handed over to the Archbishop of Canterbury, who uh, led the service, and uh, led the service until the moment that they signed the register, which was in the shrine of St. Edward, which we'll be going to in a moment. So there's, there's five steps. Up. Yeah. So you, the and the sort of the high altar, it is literally mm. high up in front of you and, and yeah. it's, impressive. It's, and on the floor is if we can just go up to the top there, we can see this wonderful mosaic pavement. This it's is absolutely known, beautiful. This is known as the Cosmati pavement, and uh, all the stones in it are were were collected by an Italian family in the 14th century called Cosmati, and they had the exclusive rights to. Uh, to stones and precious metals from the Roman Empire. So this is this is probably one of the finest Cosmati pavements in Northern Europe. There are many of them in Italy, but this is an, an extraordinary site. For many years, it was covered with carpet because we were worried um, about wear and tear on it. But then with a very generous uh, donation, we were able to do a lot of uh, conservation work on it. So we're now at the Cosmati pavement, and then we're going right back to the coronation chair that we started with because the coronation chair will go right in that circle in the middle. I can say that's a beautiful piece in the middle, isn't it? So it's that mar looks sort of an orangey marble yes. circle surrounded yes. by you know other so coloured decorations. So the coronation chair will be here facing the altar because it's a, it's an act of commitment by the monarch to God. Yeah. So, so where so, is it? Quite a view the other way. <laughs> so William and Kate, once they did the formal part of the ceremony, um, getting married, then the prayers, they said they moved up to sit just here on uh, on our right on the south side. And have a bit of a <laughs> breathe. Have a bit of a rest. <laughs> it was over. They'd been declared man and wife in those immortal words. Can start enjoying, yeah. enjoying it. And so this is the high altar. And then, uh, then they would have been taken through and we are now going to go through to the shrine of St. Edward the Confessor. So this is the shrine of St. Edward the Confessor. Henry III was insistent that Edward the Confessor must be buried in his church or in what was to be the, the, the remains of his church. So Edward the Confessor is built, is, is interred at the top there. And because um, the Pope beatified uh, King Edward the Confessor, he then became, and we know him as Saint Edward the Confessor, this became a place of pilgrimage. So this is the shrine of Saint Edward the Confessor. 
if you were looking for the, the, the most holy, the most spiritual part of the Abbey, this, this has to be it, because this is, this is where it all began. Edward the Confessor thought of and built Westminster, the original Westminster Abbey, and this is our, our commitment to, to preserving his, his memory. Um, what you're looking at looks like a, 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 stone, uh, a stone edifice, but in fact, it was covered in the same mosaic that you saw on the Cosmati pavement. But what has happened over the years, we don't obviously permit it these days, is that pilgrims, when they came here, would kneel in the small kneeling patterns uh, by the side of the, and they would pick away a mosaic for good luck. <laughs> and over the years, all the mosaic disappeared, leaving only the, the carcass underneath. But this is the, the holiest part of the abbey as well. And around, you will see, we have the monarchs. Here we have King Richard II. We have King Edward III. And then there, in there, just on his own, in a small chapel of his own, is Henry V. And above it is a small chantry chapel, which are reached through that door there. There's, over the years, the, the steps have been worn away, so it's very dangerous to go up there. But we do open the chantry chapel for Holy Communion once a year on Agincourt Day, because it was Henry V. So Henry V is there. Around here, you'll also see that we have other monarchs. We have King Henry III himself. And these are classic tombs. And then we have King Edward I as well, who was Edward I, who was the son of Henry III, who brought the coronation chair, or created the coronation chair. So they are all buried around us. And Edward I is the only one without a likeness yes. of yes. himself on the, on yes. the top. So all of the, all of the other tombs have got a sort of gold decorated. Yes, I think the reasons for that are lost in time, yes. but I'm sure we could find out if we don't. So I'm a distinguished <laughs> librarian. So this is, this is the shrine. And of course, this was where William and Kate signed the wedding, the marriage register. So the marriage register was here. Um, it's not the first time it's been used in recent years. We hold Holy Communion here every Tuesday. But also, for example, when Pope Benedict visited the Abbey the year before in 2010, uh, he prayed here on his own with the Archbishop of Canterbury, just the two of them praying on their own, because this is the spiritual heart of the Abbey. So it, it is of huge significance. So the marriage register was here, and, um, and obviously William and Kate and Harry and Pippa came through together with their parents. But the interesting thing is that the, the register then disappeared to the reception. So if you look at the register today, it looks like um, signatures of half the crowned heads of Europe. It's an extraordinary document. So, but the the, the register was, was signed here. What? So they took it, it turned into a guest book as it well. It did. It did. <laughs> it's oh, extraordinary. And so, for the the register of marriage, normally would this area normally yes. be used for people, or was it particular no, for the royal we, wedding? No, we thought particularly because it was here, because the the abbey is a royal peculiar, but we do hold weddings, so there is a marriage register. And we clearly have to follow the normal registrar's guidelines. So the Receiver General of the Abbey, who's also, if you like, the Chief Executive, we call the Receiver General because once upon a time he collected in all the rents from our vast estates. But he's also the registrar as well. It's interesting that you talk about vast estates because many, many years ago, uh, the estate that was assigned, the Westminster Abbey had property that started over in the, uh, in, in the west by Marble Arch, went all the way down to Farringdon, and then down to the river. It was huge. If we had that property today, we'd be laughing. <laughs> but we didn't. And was this area chosen because it offered some privacy for yes. that kind of registration yes. moment? This is the only moment that, that wasn't shown on television, was the signing of the register. And it is a very private moment, not because 
in a sense, you need to get your breath back. You need to pause and say, because what you've got coming up is a huge moment, which is walking back down the aisle as, a, as man and wife, but a moment then for, for their family to be just to, together for that moment. So we had the, the Prince of Wales and the Duchess of Cornwall and Michael and Carol Middleton with, and then with Harry and Pippa as well, for a, a brief moment of pause just to say, it's over or well done or whatever, before they then left as a man and wife to walk their long walk, three and a half minutes back down the Abbey to the Great West Door. So did you realise that the, the, the book of registration no. was going to be no, disappearing? No, we didn't. We I, didn't. I wonder whether this has got Prince Harry's uh, fingerprints on yeah. it. <laughs> I, I'm not quite sure who instigated it, but it certainly came back with a lot more signatures than the immediate family. And I guess perhaps a mild panic when someone realised it wasn't there. <laughs> well, no, we knew where it was. <laughs> so what was the reaction when it came, when it came back? We were, we were delighted. We were delighted. Yeah. I mean, it is a very formal, it's a formal legal document. Mm. But it, it was an, what a wonderful record of the day. It is yeah. a wonderful little uh, piece of uh, history. Just adds a bit of, um, hu- I don't know, humanity. Yes, yeah, it does. It does. It shows, in fact, that yes, this was one of the world's biggest media events of that year. It was also a huge royal occasion, but essentially it was a family day. Wow. And this area up here, for mm. when people come to visit, is mm. this area, if you come on a guided tour, you can come you can on a guided tour. We don't normally take people on the shrine unless they're, they're with our verges because it is such a spiritual mm. moment. But uh, if you're on a verger guided tour, um, you can come here and, and look at the shrine and, and pray for a moment. Um, what we're doing on the tours that we're organising is we're trying to show, A, the route that, that uh, tell you a little bit about the wedding of William and Kate. There's also hidden highlights, which are kind of parts of the abbey that you wouldn't normally see, such as, for example, the Jerusalem chamber, which is where the deans, uh, uh, just below the dean's study, which was not only where Henry IV died, but it was also where the scholars gathered together to write the uh, the King James Bible in 1603. So much history. Great moments of history. So we're just hoping to show a little few 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 things that you might not normally see in a visit to the Abbey. And you mentioned earlier that um, the Pope and the Archbishop of Canterbury mm. prayed here together mm. and talked about mm. Edmund the Confessor being um, beatified mm. as well. Mm. What has the, I guess, the relationship of the church to, the you know, in the UK we have gone through, we started Catholic and then yes. through the break with Rome and what's has been well, the in Abbey's fact, in, in relationship? Fact it, in fact, it is mirrored by the history of the Abbey because the, 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 the abbot of Westminster was, of course, responsible to the Pope. But then, of course, came along Henry VIII, who dissolved the monasteries, including Westminster Abbey. So the, the Benedictines here were, they were dispersed. But because it is the coronation church, because we are so allied to the monarchy, we are a fundamental part of the history of the monarchy, um, Elizabeth I in 1560 granted us a charter. And that's why we're a royal peculiar. So we always say that the Abbey is not a cathedral. It's not a parish church. It's a royal peculiar, answerable only to the monarch. So it's outside the jurisdiction of the Archbishop of Canterbury or the Bishop of London. We are responsible only to the monarch. Um, and I think that's, that's a significant because just as, as, as England moved away from Catholicism and so the Abbey moved away from being a monastery to being a church, the coronation church responsible to the Queen or the King of the day. And that, I'm guessing, is a difference with St Paul's Cathedral? Yes, St Paul's Cathedral. Uh, the Dean there is responsible to the Bishop of London, and that's obviously to the Archbishop of Canterbury. I'm not saying that there's any disparity between the two, because we, have, we are great friends with our friends in, in, over in Lambeth Palace and over in St Paul's as well. But we are responsible to the monarch. In fact, it's interesting that the Archbishop of Canterbury has to sign a waiver when he first comes here 
recognizing that he has no jurisdiction. We don't make him sign it every time he comes. <laughs> He's welcome every time, but the first occasion he comes, he has to sign a waiver saying that I recognize this is the Queen's Church. Fabulous. So I thought we might move on to the Lady Chapel uh, next, which is uh, added by Henry VII. So the Abbey is full of uh, side chapels, um, which, uh, which contain memorials to, to, to famous people, but also to ordinary, ordinary people through the ages, because for many years you, you had to pay to be buried here, but that practice was stopped uh, around about 1700. So, but there are many, many side chapels here, including St. Edmund's, which, uh, in which Harry and William waited. We're now moving forward into a later addition to um, Westminster Abbey, which is um, uh, built by Henry VII, and it's called the Lady Chapel. It's sometimes also called the Henry VII Chapel, but um, it's also the chapel of the Order of the Bath, which I mentioned a little earlier, um, because the uh, Honourable Order of the Bath is a chivalrous order and has its roots um, in medieval times, and it is for the knights who protected the king's life. These days, um, the Order of the Bath is for very senior military people, also very senior civil servants. And obviously you can't have a stall for every knight because there are so many of them, but uh, there are knights here. And on Monday, we had an installation for four new knights. So this is the Lady Chapel. What you see are the flags and the crests and the coat of arms of, uh, of the various knights. So this is the Lady Chapel. And this feels very different again you know it could be it's a very grand it is. church all on its own even it if it wasn't attached to an abbey yeah. <laughs> it's the light in here a very different kind of ceiling yeah. much wonderful more fancy ceiling. for want of a better word it's you know, a wonderful it's... carved ceiling and in fact the uh, the masons who carved it did it on their backs they were on shell on trestles on their back an enormous fantastic piece of work and the light streaming through yeah. because this is where are we we're at the west end of the this is the east end we're at the east end i've lost my bearings entirely <laughs> we entered at the great west door we're now right at the very east end but we're coming back to we're coming to a very small chapel which uh, brings us almost up to date but as we walk past we'll see the uh the tomb of uh, henry the seventh and his queen, which is in a marvellous bronze enclosure. I'm always a sucker for stained glass windows, and the light coming through here at the moment is this absolutely beautiful. This stained glass beautiful. window is, uh, is, well, comparatively new, given that the abbey is a thousand years old, it's comparatively new. This is um, the Battle of Britain Chapel. And the, uh, every, every, every section of the window uh, uh, pays tribute to uh, the air crews from all countries and from all regiments who took part in the Battle of Britain. And so the Battle of Britain Day in September, there's a special service here. Sadly, uh, there are very, 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 very few of the few left, but this is a wonderful, wonderful piece of stained glass. The colors um, are incredible. It's also the burial place of Oliver Cromwell. Yes. Now that's interesting because you'll see no memorial to him here because Clearly, the Abbey is a royal peculiar. So we had a bit of a tricky time after the English Civil War. But when Charles I uh, got, got back the throne um, for, for the monarch, um, the first, well, uh, among the first things he did was order the, two, the, the body of Oliver Cromwell to be lifted out. And um, the head was displayed over the road on Westminster, the Palace of Westminster. So this was the burial place of Oliver Cromwell. No longer because he was disinterred. It is now a wonderful tribute to uh, the pilots who, uh, who fought so bravely in the Battle of Britain. Mm. 
So, that's as far as we go in the Abbey. Is there anything else that we can help you with? No, I think you've given us a very thorough tour and we feel very privileged to have have been behind the scenes. Yeah. Zoe, is there anything that else that you would... We'll pause and look at the Hockney to... window on the way out. Oh yes, that sounds like a good plan. Because that does bring us right up to date. Check whether there's any other questions from our listeners. Mm. But I think we've managed to... Uh, to cover, including happy travel finds who wanted to know about any spooky <laughs> stories or scandals. And I think there's been a few scandals and um, well, disinterred yeah. bodies. Christ Christian theology doesn't really um, admit to the presence of ghosts and spooks and things like that. Um, but I would say that it, it is a huge, it is a vast building um, to be on your own in. But I've always thought, as I often come in here very early on the morning, mornings to set up for filming, or just to be on my own for early morning communion. And in fact, there's nothing threatening or spooky or, or, or worrying or dangerous at all about the Abbey um, on it, when you're on your own. It's, uh, it's a wonderful place, but it is a place that needs people. And we found um, that when we closed down uh, after March the 20th, 2020, for the lockdown caused by COVID-19, it was a sad place, and the Dean and I were wondering, why, why do we feel so dispirited? It's because there, was no, there were no people, visitors, worshippers, staff. It was a very sad place. It must have been a happy day when you were able to welcome people back to worship again for the first time. It was. It was. It was a lovely moment. And then, but also the second best moment was when the choir could sing, because initially the choir couldn't sing. Oh, when course, the choir could sing, really that was strange. a lovely moment. But on the very first day that we opened, um, the Dean welcomed not only the Archbishop of Canterbury, but the Roman Catholic Archbishop of Westminster as well, and they prayed together in the shrine. We, we've seen the Battle of Britain um, yeah. Memorial area, and we've seen the Tomb of the Unknown Warrior, and mm. obviously in the, at, at, um, around Remembrance Sunday, or the lead-up to Remembrance mm. Sunday and Armistice Day, you have the Field of Remembrance mm. outside yes. as well. Yeah. That, which is a relatively new thing, or has that been going yes, on for a long that, time? That, no, that started, that, I think we're coming up to the centenary of that. That's when uh, we handed over to the poppy factory, and uh, they make it available for people to plant crosses in memory of all who've died, not just in the two world wars, but in other wars since then, such as Malaya or Iraq. Um, so there are many people. So it's a wonderful occasion. Um, it always used to be opened on the Thursday before Remembrance Sunday by the Duke of Edinburgh. Uh, and then when the Duke of Edinburgh decided to step back from public life, uh, Prince Harry took it over. And then last year we had the Duchess of Cornwall. But last year, the field was empty because we couldn't let people in because of COVID-19. But that's a lovely time as well. And it does, it, it brings the Abbey alive in a different way because people are, are at the Abbey, but they're remembering their loved ones as well. And hopefully it will be very different oh, this I year. Oh, I hope so. I hope so. so and are there, are there regular points through the year, sort of royal services, I think the, the Westminster, the Commonwealth Day one being Commonwealth, one of them. Commonwealth Day is a regular feature on the second Monday of every March, which is Commonwealth Day. Uh, the Queen always comes with the Commonwealth Day service and usually um, is accompanied by the Prince of Wales and in recent years, or most of her family as well. And it's an it's extraordinary occasion because the service is very, very different. I mean, at the heart of it, it is a Church of England religious service. But by its very nature, we have had um, we've had Indian dancing. We've had the drummers were just absolutely extraordinary. They drummed all the way from uh, the Great West Door to the choir. Um, but we've always had contributions from all parts of the Commonwealth. I mean, in the very last service, we had a testimony from the boxer Anthony Joshua. 
And of course, um, last, the last Commonwealth service here was the last appearance in public of, um, of the Duke and Duchess of Sussex. So, um, that's always repeated whenever you see a clip, uh, relating to the, uh, to the royal family. But, um, Let's just hope that they all get back together soon. Absolutely. I think we can all agree on that. We're standing in front of the Hockney window. Um, the dean, uh, the former dean, uh, John Hall, decided that, because um, we had some spare windows, the blank windows, he wanted to, uh, a, a window to mark the reign of the Queen, who was then the longest, who is now the longest reigning monarch. But rather than um, the conventional stained glass, he had a brainwave and he'd been to the Hockney exhibition, so he asked the artist, David Hockney, if he'd like to design it. David Hockney had never worked in stained glass before. And so what he did was to create this window, which is simply extraordinary. And it's extraordinary not just for being so different, for being so, if you like, Hockney, but it, it is extraordinary for the colours it brings. When the sun starts to set in the west, it shows it's all the colours will then go into all the statesmen, because this is known as Statesman's Isle, and it will go, the light that uh, will be shown onto those statues is absolutely magically. It's like the Northern Lights comes to Westminster, to, to Westminster Abbey. Beautiful. And it, it's, it's, it kind of brings the Abbey's full history. You continue to modernise and continue to have new things. With and, the... and David, David Hockney said that um, uh, he designed it like this because he, he thought that he wanted to represent that the Queen was at heart a countrywoman, and the countryside was at the heart of Britain. So this was the heart of everything. So it's, it replicates many of the themes that he's explored in some of his paintings, but I think it's extraordinary. Um, it was fabricated up in York, and when they came down to install it, David Hockney here was for every day of the installation. He was just sat quietly there. Um, I don't think anybody noticed who he was. <laughs> um, one time we had a BBC crew here, and we had to make sure that they didn't see David Hockney was sitting there. but. Uh, <laughs> It was a lovely man. Nice. So that's the Hockney window. Stunning addition. To be dedicated here. And um, is, there, is there a regular remembrance? You have a regular service around remembrance time as well? That's we have our own service of remembrance on Remembrance Sunday. Then we have the field of, um, field of remembrance, uh, which is, opens with a prayer and then a, a last post. That's always very special. But, of course, um, we tend to defer to, uh, to Whitehall and to the, uh, mm. the service at the Cenotaph on Remembrance Sunday. But we have our own Remembrance Sunday service here with the senior representatives from the military and also um, the Merchant Navy and the police. But we do, because we are a royal peculiar, we do see a lot of the royal family. Um, and it makes, us, it makes us feel special. Mm. I think it makes the Abbey special. Um, but we're just pleased to be able to play a part in the big royal story. We're just walking underneath the organ, which we yes. shamefully had to ask to uh, this to is the organ. We did have yeah. to <laughs> a little bit earlier, but it was fabulous to hear it when we. Well, we did have to did. ask the organist uh, James O'Donnell to desist, but he was very gracious. Oh, he, was, he, is, he is very kind. It's very kind. And this is we're now taking the walk back out. Yep. Zoe and I haven't got married. Duncan and I haven't <laughs> got married. Yes. No. But we are walking out. As Obviously, when William Kate and William uh, got married, this Lasalter wasn't here. It was taken right. away. It's a simpler. Simple view, but it what a spectacular place and a spectacular day. And you know, trees, trees or no trees, it is a very yes, uplifting and beautiful building to be in and to mm. hear mm. so much about its, its history and bring you know particular occasions to life. And I think mm. that's been it's been very special.
Well, I hope you've enjoyed it. I mean, I think that I speak for all of us at the Abbey. We, we love working here. Um, and I don't just say that because um, I'm doing a podcast, but because we do. And we're very happy to work with the Royal Family. We have a very good relationship with all the Royal Palaces. And um, long may it last. And you are open again for visitors. We that are open again for thing. visitors. We'd love you to come and worship as well. But certainly do come and see us through the north door and see for yourself this absolutely stunning church. Every day? Open every day? Most days now. Look at the, our website and you'll see by the opening days. We're opening slowly as we emerge from the shadow of COVID. But uh, we'll very soon be open every day, except okay. Sundays, which is, of course, reserved for worship. And you can find the details of the um, special William and Kate tours on the website yes, as the, well. Yes, the website www.westminster-abbey.org will tell you all the details about tours. It will give you times of all our services because everybody is welcome to worship here. We're not, uh, we're not exclusive in, in that. Anybody can come and join our services and listen for free to our extraordinary choir. It's a fabulous thing and right in the heart of London as well we are stones throw from House of Commons. We are, we are. We're in the kind of golden triangle because we have the Palace of Westminster there, we have the Supreme Court over there, this is Westminster Abbey, and just across the other end of St James's Park is a little place known as Buckingham Palace. <laughs> so no, wow. not far for the Royal not Family not. to come when they not come on down. Not far at all. An amazing place that you get to work as well. It I'm is. sure many of our listeners will be very, it's very, very jealous. Short. It is said that when President Trump arrived, his motorcade, um, when, his, when his car arrived, when the beast arrived, his motorcade, the last car his motorcade had just left Buckingham Palace. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can imagine, I can imagine. Well, Duncan, it's been an absolute pleasure. My thank pleasure. you very much for joining us on thank Pod Save the Queen today. Zoe, thank you for accompanying me around on this special thank you for visit. having me. What a day. <laughs> what a day, and we'll talk about it more, I'm sure. Um, listeners, thank you for joining us on this virtual visit. We hope you've, we've managed to bring it, well, Duncan has managed to bring the stories to life, and we've managed to give you a sense of what it's like to be in this fabulous building but if you are in London then do and you know you want to walk in William and Kate's footsteps whether it's on the tour or just on a, on a regular visit then do do come and see inside here because it is a very extraordinary place and very beautiful and very special so thank you thank you Duncan thank you listeners and until next time Pod save the Queen <laughs>